Greetings, friends, and welcome to the program you're listening to, The What's Right Show. Sam Marjofsky, that's me, your host. Uh, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian is what I like to refer to myself as. If you need to reach me while we're here live on air for the next two hours, sam at salmonashlaw.com is my email, and I do check that uh, periodically through the the program. Uh, There is a was a news story that was developing yesterday when we were enjoying a little time together here on News Talk 840 KXNT, having to do with the Dodgers. And it almost perfectly fits in with what I have been now saying since the Bud Light controversy erupted. You see, the Dodgers are getting ready to have a Pride Night as part of Pride Month, which of course is in June, uh, their Pride Month is uh, Pride Day uh, at the uh, ballpark, I think is on June 16th. And they've done this. This year would have been their 10th annual Pride Night. Now, what is Pride Night? You imagine this is a time where there are a lot of rainbow flags and shirts and great costuming, uh, of course, out in the um, in the bleachers. But you've got in the stands, but you've got a, um, there was a group that was going to get honored. And, well, they were going to get, they're going to get honored with a Community Hero Award. And it was a group um, that is, well, the name is a little bit misleading. Uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Well, maybe not completely misleading, but these are people who are uh, dressing like Catholic nuns, but are in fact mostly drag-type performers. They openly mock Catholicism and religion. They have names like Sister Taint a Virgin, Sister Porn Again, you can imagine some of these I cannot read on air. And they were going to get, oh, I guess, well, they were going to get this award for promoting, quote, human rights and respect for diversity and spiritual, spiritual enlightenment. Okay. Now, Marco Rubio and a Catholic groups uh, began a pressure campaign on the Dodgers, and it worked. The Dodgers blinked and disinvited the perpetual, the sisters of perpetual indulgence. And now there is a conflagration. And it's exactly what I've been saying all along here. The problem is that when these companies go woke and they go all the way, and then they do a U-turn, the left turns on them. The left then comes along and says, this is awful. Minutes ago, the LA Times, in fact, I just barely had time to to click print and go over to the printer and collect this before the the show began, but um, it's, um, uh, the sisters responded. They responded, they said, well, we're gonna continue to serve and uplift, but then all the parallel groups chimed in, for example, the Los Angeles LGBT Center, 
uh, responded, said uh, they demand that the Dodgers reverse course or cancel Pride Night altogether. The ACLU got involved, quote, in unity with the sisters. We will not participate in Pride Night. And an L.A. County supervisor said that if they're not invited, she's not going. Celebrating Pride is about inclusion. I guess inclusion for everybody, but, uh, you know, real Catholics. And it... Okay, I used to live in Southern California. I lived in Orange County. Went to many Dodgers games. Let me ask you something. What's the demographic? Let's be blunt about this. What's the demographic of your, I don't know, if you take 10 Dodgers fans, what are the chances that four of them are Hispanic? Five of them. Six, maybe. Hispanic Los Angelinos love the Dodgers. Now, building on that Venn diagram, let's overlay another component of identity there. How many of these Hispanics are at least nominally Catholic? How many of them are culturally far more conservative than the mainstream political types in the greater Los Angeles area? The answer, of course, is they, they're, they're far more conservative than what the mainstream of the Democratic Party is right now. So I, my first question is, what the hell were the Dodgers thinking to begin with, to begin with in doing this? What a bad move. And it has echoes uh, and uh, some callback, I think, to what happened uh, with, with, with Bud Light. Because that same idea that somebody somewhere in a back room disconnected from the customers, from the fan base, makes a decision thinking that we're going to be progressive, we're going to be, what's the word that they use? Inclusive. We're going to do these things that are, we're going to move the brand in the right direction. And in so doing, they end up alienating a whole bunch of people. But the other part of this, of course, is that it's very difficult to do a U-turn. Once you suck up to the left, once you are you throw in with the LGBTQIA plus fanatics, once you, you go down that path, it's very difficult to back up. I mentioned yesterday on air, and I stand by this, that these groups are very unforgiving. If they feel slighted, boy, they will turn on you and they are vicious. And I think the lesson here is, uh, I assume in boardrooms across America in meetings with uh, strategy meetings, business strategy meetings, and of course, advertising meetings, these companies have to decide how far they go down the line with these groups. Because I think they're realizing that, uh, you know, the, the, the backup, uh, it, it's better to not have gone into it uh, in the first place. And I explained this. When the, when the Bud Light controversy came out, when the Dylan Mulvaney thing hit, before even the apology and the, the, the backtracking came from the CEO, the Anheuser-Busch CEO, I, I told you it would be very difficult to put that genie back in the bottle and not because of conservatives. We conservatives are 
by and large, forgiving folks. Okay, it's in our DNA. We move on. And plus, we, we're busy with life, right? We're working and making money and taking care of kids and parents and whatnot. So we're busy. These people on the other side, they're, they, have, they have lots of idle time on their hands, and they are very big on this protesting business. So you got to be careful with them. But once the thing happened, once they put the Dylan Mulvaney nonsense out there, Anheuser-Busch had a problem. And I, I said this before, again, before any of the backtracking, I said it was going to be an issue because you can apologize to conservatives and, and get past it and you'll, you'll assuage that 22% you know, drop that you know, week over week drop that's happening to their product to some extent. But the apology then comes at the cost of angering the other side. And the other side has a fair amount of sway. They also have a friendly media organization that supports them, which, you know, when you're marketing, I don't want to get too deep in it, but peso, right? That's the, that's the model for marketing. All right, so, you, you know, you, you have paid media, you've earned media, and um, and those those you know the, the earned media here is is publicity that you get you know that where you're written up your product gets placed and whatnot and right now they're getting a lot of very bad earned media both on the right and on the left and that now is what's going to happen with the Dodgers and you would think I mean you would think with this big high profile thing going on with Bud Light that the Dodgers would would um would see it. And would have taken notes. But man, I tell you, the insular nature of these corporate entities in America, they don't get it. Ten minutes listening to this program, ten minutes, and they would have a completely different view of what most of America is thinking. But how they could be this out of touch with a local fan base, uh, that blows my mind. You know, the Dodgers, you go to a Dodgers game, I'm telling you, you're seeing families. There's lots of traditional people there. I really, you know, I ultimately think this ties into a bigger problem. I, I think that the left doesn't understand uh, what they're getting with all the immigration from south of the border. Right, they think it's a it's a net benefit to them in the long run. That demographic, I saw an article, I'm going to pull it, give me the break here. I saw an article overnight that made me think of this as well. Uh, I, I just think they're, they, they don't understand that these are actually, by and large, very traditional people, uh, old school people, uh, that do not find the values of the current Democratic Party compatible with their way of life. It'll be very surprising. The demographic shift occurring as a function of all this unfettered illegal immigration may end up biting the Democrats where it hurts. Sam Rajovsky, give me a moment, folks. Going to take a quick break here. I'll be back, and the show will go on. You're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Friends, welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 
one, two, three, four, because you deserve attorneys who do what's right. Uh, my email, if you'd like to reach me here during the program, sam at salmonashlaw.com. Yes, that's me. In fact, I know I promised this yesterday, but it didn't work out time-wise, schedule-wise, but I do believe today at two, we will have Ash, my partner, law partner here on uh, the program, talk about a couple things that I think you might find interesting. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, she'll be here uh, at the top of the hour. Now, the article I was, I was thinking of, uh, I mentioned it just before the break, was well, the, the reason I was thinking of this article is because I, I suspect that if you talk to, I don't know, an average 10, 15, 20 white mega left Democrats, they don't have to be party functionaries. They don't have to be super delegates. They don't have to be on the, on the DNC. I'm just talking, you know, you're a grab bag, you know, of, of, of 10 20 or so far left Dems. And I, and I brought up white because it requires for them to be a little insulated and out of touch, not just politically, but also culturally. Now, what do I mean by this? If you ask them, is, and candidly, you know, you're like, you're, you're not, nobody's recording this, there's, it's not going on the record. Do you think that there is a net benefit for the Democratic Party demographically with all of this south of the border illegal immigration going on because of course the numbers are unprecedented we have crossings now almost what is it 15,000 is estimated 15,000 a day so we're going to be in the maybe probably have the largest immigration illegal immigration numbers into this country uh, this year that we've ever had I'll let that sink in and I think if you ask them that question, if that's good for the Democratic Party, reading in between the lines, of course, you think that these Mexicans and Guatemalans and everybody coming over here, are these are going to people that – are they going to be reliable voters for the Democratic Party if and when or <laughs> – depending on how it all works, right? if and when they vote? I think they'd mostly say yes. And emphatically say yes. They they actually believe this. And I, I don't know. I don't have any necessarily science to back this up, other than I remember uh, in California when I lived in California talking to uh, folks that were definitely first gen uh, from from Guatemala, from Mexico. So these were the people I knew. These were some of the most culturally conservative people out there they went to church they family was life for them mother and father in the home uh I, you know grandparents sometimes living with them extended family i mean family was everything and these were people when i would you know talk to them and this was this was there was a lot going on back when i going back to what is this a 2000 2016, let's say, Trump was running for president. The red MAGA hats were everywhere in certain parts of the country. And so I would ask my Hispanic friends, I said, well, what, do you, what do you make of this? How do you feel about this? And one, I was always surprised by how many of them were drawn to Trump. 
I said, so you're not buying this thing that he's a racist and hates brown people? Of course not, Sam. No. But we want America to be great because we came here for greatness. That was one thing. And then they also liked more traditional values. They felt, and I've had this told me over and over again, the Democratic Party is getting further away from the life that we think is right for us and for our families. So it was with great per- a bemusement, I'll say that, bemusement. They picked up this article in The Hill, uh, found it last night or this morning, and I sent it to myself to, to print, but of course I hadn't gotten to that because I didn't think I was going to go here, but I want to share this with you because the title of, it, of the piece caught my eye. Texas, Florida laws have Latinos rethinking where they live. And I saw that headline. My immediate reaction was, no, that's BS. That's a, that's a load of crap. I can tell you right now, I, I know tons of people who are Hispanic leaving California precisely because California, Gavin Newsom values do not work for them. Okay. So I had to read on, figure out what this was all about. And here we have it. Again, this is written by, you know what? I didn't print the, I'll make a bet with you. I'll bet you this is written by a, by a left-wing DC white guy or white gal. Cause the first thing, when they say Latino, what they're really meaning, okay, wait, this is leftist. The left is so racist. I can't listen to this. Quote, legislation in Florida and Texas to crack down on undocumented immigrants is prompting some Hispanics to reconsider where they live and work. In Florida, goes on now to talk about all the empty uh, workplaces because that mean guy, Governor Ron DeSantis, actually signed a bill that sanctions employers for, wait for it, employing undocumented workers. So, in sum, right, this is when we're up against a break, but this is a great read. (laughs) This piece is fabulous. Basically, uh, Latinos, in the the way this is written, Latinos equals uh, lots of undocumented people, illegal immigrants, which is very uh, absurd, an absurd statement for a journalist to make. But two, that's the only thing that matters to all Latinos is – you know, workplace discrimination against people who aren't documented. I guarantee you, you look at the numbers there. I, I w- I'm convinced if you were to break it out by race, there would be more Hispanics leaving California than you, you would even imagine. And it's simple, right? Do they want to send their kids to a school where they're going to learn about the, thir- you know, 370 different genders and that mom and dad aren't important? And that hashtag down with the patriarchy. You think Hispanics living in neighborhoods with families and little kids playing in parks want to defund the police? Make it go on and on. It's absurd. Actually, good old fashioned Western values is what, you know, in many cases we, we are actually importing from, from Central and South America and, and Mexico. And uh, I think it would surprise a lot of left-wingers to believe this. And that's part of the reason why they, the Dodgers have totally screwed this thing up. All right, that's the music. Got to take a break. Don't go anywhere. 
Back in a moment, Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXMT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. It would help if I uh, could turn on my microphone. Sam Rajofsky here. <laughs> Welcome back to the What's Right Show. Great to be with you. My email Sam at SamAndAshLaw.com, the socials for the show, at What's Right Show, and then my Instagram and Twitter, at What's Right Sam. You can find me there and um, check me out. Now, that's for those of you who have not seen me on the billboards, which, of course, are up and around town. Those of you not living in Las Vegas, you uh, probably have not seen the billboards, which is okay. Uh some point, maybe they may come to a city near you. Uh, but uh, yes, I'm the. Uh, there's two of us on the billboard, Sam and Ash. Ashley Watkins will be with us here at the top of the hour, joining us. And of course, I'm there just for the looks. Okay, that's what I tell people. I'm on the billboards. I'm just a pretty face. <laughs> yeah, well, well, someone's got to do the lawyering, you know, and I'm. I'm here on the radio in the afternoon, so Ashley's working hard, but we've got uh, we've got her for a few minutes uh, at the top of the hour. You do not want to miss this. You see this story here, uh, a Las Vegas local story. Two women charged in a uh, killing, uh, allegedly murdered a guy at Caesar's Palace on Monday, May 15th. Middle of the day, 11.35 a.m., so, well, that's when he was found. It may, you know, maybe could have happened the night, night before. But here's the story. Here's what we know so far. These two women are charged with murder and robbery charges, the death of a man. Metro says that the uh, investigation so far has revealed that the man went into his hotel room with the two women. The women fled shortly afterward with the victim's property. Uh, the perpetrators are identified as 20-year-old Erica Covington and 20-year-old Ariana Taylor. Now, they were, I guess, apprehended fairly quickly. Metro is uh, very responsive on the strip. Not a good place to commit any kind of crime, let alone a violent homicide. Man's identity I don't have here, although perhaps there's been an update today. I had this story from yesterday. Now... Uh, can we just, <laughs> I'm not making light of this at all, um, but can we just, uh, for a moment, I, I saw a picture of the ladies, okay? Well, they're, I know I'm not inviting any women to my hotel room, uh, but, but were I to be the kind of guy to invite women up to my room, these two would be the last two women I would invite. I know I got to see a picture of the guy. And that's a fair point. Uh, but I, my look, look, listen. You know, you're gonna live longer when you make good life decisions. And I understand that even at eleven in the morning, perhaps this gentleman was coming home from a party and was intoxicated. But the idea of inviting two uh, working ladies. Into your hotel room is an all-around bad idea. And while not often these guys get, 
get killed. They get robbed all the time. The strip, they, they don't... The casino people, they don't want us talking about this. In fact, I'm going to get a stern word from at least one executive after today's show. But that's okay because my responsibility here is to you and give you the straight scoop. I promise you there are stories that have never made the news that happen daily of women drugging it's listen mostly with women okay women drugging men because men we men are just we are that stupid oh she wants to talk to me wow oh she's so interested at all my at all my stories and my jokes and oh she, she wants to go up to my room she's talking to you because you have a $50,000 watch on she's going to put something in your drink and make off with your, you know, with your with your watch, your cash, and your casino chips. The reason it doesn't come out more, I'm, again, I'm going to say this, I think a lot of these guys don't even report it because they had no business being with anybody in their hotel room, if you can read between the lines of what I'm trying to say there. So, uh, I know a lot of you listen to this program outside of Las Vegas. Some of you gents might be single as a Pringle ready to mingle. But please, for the love of everything in life that is uh, that brings you joy, uh, you know, dying over a fun night isn't isn't my idea of a, of a good time. So their their first appearance uh, in court for these two deadly ladies is uh, today. Uh, wow, right now says it's scheduled was scheduled for one thirty. So they're sitting somewhere at the courthouse in a holding cell. Fabulous, and this guy's at the morgue. Real sad story. Yeah, remember the story two months ago where the gal stole a very expensive timepiece. It was a Rolex from the guy, and we talked about it here. They stole the watch, and they're and he the guy woke up. They just they only drugged him. Okay, so they didn't the lady didn't kill him drugged him and he came to just as the door slammed to his hotel room so he immediately realizes that his stuff is gone and and he he calls a security front desk and it, this is the best part of the story right to my point that this happens all the time immediately hotel security springs into action metro comes they before that before the chiquita even made it down the elevators they were waiting for her in the lobby okay and then she goes, well, I don't have any watch. What are you talking about? And they did <laughs> bring over a metal detector. Again, they've done this. They know what they're doing. By the way, if any of you uh, have worked hotel security and want to ke- tell me stuff off the record here, and I, I won't share it. I'm just, if you want to have a conversation about this, email me, okay? Sam at samandashlaw.com. I-, I tell you, the funniest thing is they, they had the metal detector there. They knew exactly what they were going to to do with it, which is to wand her nether regions. Of course, uh, beep, 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 it's going off, and <laughs> female, female LVMPD officer, poor woman, has to go with her into the bathroom to get it out. I'm just bringing, these are stories, these are life stories of things that people do, men do in particular, they get stupid, they lose their minds, and best case scenario, you, you, you lose your, your, your expensive watch. Best case scenario. 
And worst case scenario, your whole life goes up in flames or you get shot and killed. And depending on who you're married to, one might be preferable over the other. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. I will be back in just a moment. Well, how is this for a political win that the left doesn't understand to be a political win? I'll explain. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. Welcome back to the What's Right Show. Uh, Disney apparently is scrapping plans for its new Florida campus, relocating approximately 2,000 or so employees from its California, Anaheim, California uh, headquarters, is my understanding, is how this was supposed to work. And this is being uh, heralded in the mainstream media. See, look at this. This is what you get with Rupert, you know, Well, Rubio was part of this too, but of course, Ron DeSantis. When Governor DeSantis picked his fight with Disney, now he's, look at this, 2,000 well-paid jobs are not coming to Florida. Now, if I was DeSantis, and I was reading this headline, and more or less, let's just assume more or less it's true, right, that that Disney's putting the brakes on, on this. By the way, the, the real story is that Disney doesn't have the money right now for the relocation. They're, they're bleeding cash. So they're putting, they're putting the stops on a whole lot of stuff, this included. But let's say it's all your fault. Disney's not relocating 2,000 Californians into your state. Um, how is that not a political advantage? 2,000 employees, each of them, let's say, comes with brings with them, let's say, on an average of one and a half times, right, the number. So so for every two people, they have one partner that they bring with them. And I'm going to assume these people vote 99% Democrat. So we're, you know, my math is I think we're looking at about 3,000 Democrats that are not hitting the voter rolls in Florida. I mean... I'm just telling you, this, there's a political upside to this. Now, the other upside, hilariously, is that Disney's going to have to suck it up with the bad policies in California. Remember why Disney wanted to send their people to Florida in the first place. That's right. Conservative policies. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt. Florida's a great place to do business. And even if you take out the, the, the Reedy Creek development area, the, the, the uh, autonomous mouse zone that Disney's had in place since 1960s, their deal with the state of Florida that, of course, you know, DeSantis is, is uh, trying to uh, take over. Even without that, you still have a far better place to do business there than you do in L.A. and in Anaheim. And Disney knows this. And it's on this basis that they announced the relocation. And I, I mean, I remember when it was happening, and I know people who work for Disney in California, and they were just, I mean, they were besides themselves. These are people who were living close to the beach and in California, and they had the idea that they would be moving to Orlando was enough to give them the vapors. So, they, you know, they're probably very happy about it as well. But it's it's my, you know, the, the take on this is that, 
because of because Bob Chappick, who's not the CEO anymore, Iger's taken over, but because Chappick gave in to the lunatic fringe, you know, I'd say very loud and vocal minority of Disney employees and decided to get involved in Florida politics and pick a fight with Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, they now are forced to do a U-turn. I mean, if, if what we're being told by the mainstream media is true, that this is the reason they're not going, I think it's economics too, but they're, 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 they're missing an opportunity to streamline their operations, to put their employees in a more business-friendly place, and over uh, the course of time, actually do things that are, are better for the company. And it's an example of where you let the politics of something dictate the business side of your company. And that is, by the way, a recipe for, for major heartache and, and ultimately in, in reduced shareholder returns. Now, speaking of the governor himself, apparently DeSantis plans to announce uh, his race uh, bid for the White House 2024 campaign next week. So the, you know, we, we know this was, he's, he's met with some top fundraisers uh, in Miami and a couple people are telling the Washington Post that that is the plan. Um, now DeSantis, his political team is declining to comment on this. He's, he is expected, there's a planned event. It's funny you ask that. There's a planned event to launch his, uh, he's got he's got one in, in his hometown in Florida. I don't know how to pronounce this. Dunedin? Dunedin? Dunedin, Florida. I guess that's his hometown. According to one of the people familiar with the plan, say that there's going to be a kickoff gathering there uh, just after Memorial Day. So it's going to happen. He's getting in the race. It's get Yeah, it's getting to the point where he, he either has to announce or say he's not running. Because at this point he's got to ramp it up and make make stuff happen. So we're going to we're going to, next week is going if this happens as planned it's going to be a wild news week. Uh, well after excuse me after Memorial Day so not next week but the week after. It's going to be a wild news week. Well this just this news report here no doubt is going to get a reaction from Trump. I haven't seen anything yet pop up. I'm going to look again at the top of the hour. Uh, if he's been, maybe he's, maybe he said something on Truth Social. I, I need to, I need to check that. But obviously, Trump has done everything possible to try to dissuade uh, DeSantis from getting in the race. And I still, by the way, do not consider this to just be a two-person contest. No, Pence is no, no, no. Get out of here. No, no, Pence. I. No, but I'm t- I know he's a long shot, but I'm telling you, for those of you who are principled conservatives out there, do not overlook Vivek Ramaswamy. You can't do it. By the way, he had a great appearance the other day. Vivek Ramaswamy, he's a young guy. He's a millennial. And he literally sounds like Ronald Reagan. I mean, well, not in his cadence, but certainly in the substance of what he has to say. He is in my view, Reagan-esque. And he's extremely well-spoken. He's a bright guy, tech guy, has done well for himself. He's the son of Indian uh, immigrants to the U.S. So he's, you know, he's, he's, he's got that, 
he's got that immigrant backstory that I, of course, relate to uh, significantly as my parents came to this country as well from from Eastern Europe. So, yeah, he's he had this great appearance, and he he was talking about. Well, he was he was talking to he, he he's talking to Hannity about the border crisis. And Hannity now, of course, you know, is going to be taking over the 8 o'clock time slot. Fox News is redoing everything. That 8 o'clock time slot, by the way, is jinx. I don't know if Hannity necessarily wants to be in it because uh, it's not long for this world. But anyway, here's what he said about the party, Democratic Party of 2023, the border crisis. And about illegal immigration, this is so spot on. Well, it's like the Democratic Party of 2023, Sean. I really mean this. Sounds a lot like the Democratic Party of 1863. Just listen to some of those clips you played using short-term economic justifications to justify illegal and immoral behavior. The vegetables will rot in the field. We need people to pluck our crops. This is the thing that Democrats were saying in the South in the 1860s to justify a different form of immoral and illegal behavior in the form of slavery. Now they're using that justification for illegal immigrants to be able to turn the other way and abandon the rule of law. This is exactly right. And by the way, this is why I'm telling you the Republican kiss of death is when so-called conservative Republicans decide to abandon their moral high ground on the immigration topic. And he's going at it head on. By the way, he is able to talk to this much in the same way or speak to this much in the same way as I am because I'm, I'm very proud of my parents' immigrant story. My parents, though, I suspect much like Ramaswamy's did, came to this country legally. And it was a tough, tough road, let me tell you. And I'll, yeah, you want to find people who are anti-illegal immigrant? It's every single legal immigrant. You're not, <laughs> if you're, if you think you're winning people over, I'm talking here to the Democratic Party, uh, saying that you're pro-immigrant. You're not pro-immigrant. You're pro-illegal immigrant. You're pro-lawbreaker. You're pro-taking the easy way. You're pro-misery. You're pro-people drowning in the Rio Grande. That is what you're pro. Instead of Democrats saying, look, let's increase numbers of legal immigrants, let's secure the border, let's, let's solve this problem. They don't want the problem solved one bit. And how do we know that? Even when they scream about how the Republicans could have fixed this, the Republicans, hey, Trump got the numbers way down to the lowest point in 40 years, got the numbers way down by simply enforcing existing laws. He didn't have Congress's help. Hell's bells. First, the Republicans, led by Paul Ryan, squishy rhino, and then later, of course, we know we had um, Nancy Pelosi. They didn't move a finger to help Trump with immigration. Just But Trump just enforced the existing laws. So this is why why Biden can't can't get out of this. He, he he owns this. He literally has the exact same legal framework in place as Trump did. Only his problem is spiraling out of control and turning into a real humanitarian disaster. And all the Democrats can do is stand up there and go, "But we need more. We need more people picking fruit in the field." You know, you that news story I shared with you just at the bottom of the hour. 
the story about how you know you know you know states like Florida and Texas are becoming inhospitable to Latinos. Why? Because they're enforcing labor laws. Ha! Huh, imagine that. It's so it's backwards. It's racist. It's uh, and and as Ramaswamy says, it's it's um, invokes uh, some of the same arguments that were made. Uh, you know, just uh, before the Civil War and during. Absolutely shameful. All right, friends, we're going to take a brief break here, top of the hour, and then we'll have Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law join us. You don't want to miss that. I'll be back. Don't worry. Getting ready here for the second hour of the What's Right Show. Don't go anywhere. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. You've seen the billboards, and now you get to hear my voice. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXMT. That's right. Uh, on the billboards around town, purple billboards, you'll see the uh, two uh, personal injury attorneys, Sam and Ash, uh, fantastic fighting duo uh, from downtown Las Vegas. Um, and today, you don't have just me here in the studio, Sam Merjofsky, but you also have Ash Watkins. Ash, welcome uh, to the What's Right Show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I think I'm a day late, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to, folks, those of you who have been longtime listeners, we're trying to get Ashley here for a little bit every Wednesday, but... Ash Wednesday. That was the plan, but yesterday <laughs> you were you got a little tied up. So I get it. One of us has to work, and uh, that person is you. So uh, at any rate, uh, I had a... First off, by the way, there's a Vegas-adjacent story I want to... I want to run by you. <laughs> Just This is... It keeps getting better. Okay. Sam Brenton, he's the non-binary luggage thief. Okay, we're uh, still doing this. Well, okay. he just he just got arrested. Oh, he was a fugitive from justice. Apparently, um, he this is the guy that was the nuclear waste disposal person for Joe Biden, and apparently there's some new charges uh, regarding uh, luggage thefts. Uh, from I believe was the Washington uh, Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority uh, in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland. So this was at the uh, an incident uh, that happened apparently sometime around February at Reagan National Airport, uh, and uh, I guess they were able to track him down and uh, took him into custody uh, yesterday. Um, so this is a guy who cannot stop stealing luggage. Now, I, I, I printed the story out there for you. I, I mean, uh, this is the weirdest fetish. Can we just stealing people's luggage? <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. Does he know that you as a man can legally go into a store and buy women's clothing? Because I think this, this story, what people are not saying is that he has a thing for wearing stolen women's clothing. Yeah. And you don't need to do that. You can actually just go to the women's section and buy clothes as a guy. But for whatever reason, because remember the designer, he was charged and this happened. It was right here in Vegas. He was stealing luggage here in Vegas and he stole bags from a designer that had one off, you know, one and done made garments that were very 
Peculiar. She was an African designer. And this woman lost her suitcase, had no idea why she lost her suitcase. But then, of course, Sam Britton draws attention to himself in the national limelight, being a non-binary uh, person working in the Biden administration. And she's looking at him getting an award up on stage. And he's wearing one of her, you know, one-off design gowns. <laughs> and she's, oh, oh my gosh, that's my outfit. And th that's how this whole thing got kicked off. What, what luck. You steal luggage, and then you happen to also steal the one that is one-off. So if you wear it. Yeah, um, uh, by the way, listen, by the way, if I, as a white man, who is very much binary, decided to appropriate the uh, African garb of another person who is black and from Africa, I would be, uh, I uh, certainly, I, if, I, if I was a, a public person wearing an outfit like that, the overriding criticism would be how dare I appropriate that look as a white guy. Yeah. But because this is, there's a hierarchy of victimhood here, and it's getting to a, a greater point here. Because Sam, not me, not this Sam, Brenton, okay. was non-binary. Because he was a dude wearing lipstick and because he was a Democrat, he got a pass on all of that. Nobody cared that he showed up, even before they knew that he stole the stuff, that he sh showed up wearing the clothes of an African woman. It was obviously, you know, it was, and it turned out to be absolutely spot on. These clothes were literally designed by an African designer. Yeah, the double standard is a little absurd. So it brings me it brings me to this, and it's a it's a it's a frequent term, a frequent topic here that I I, I talk about, and I want to ask you because you are you're a few not many years younger than me. <laughs> okay. um, you're definitely a millennial. Okay, I don't. Nah, I'm, not, I'm throwing. We're not throwing this around as a pejorative. We're just saying you, you, you know, you're, yeah, no, I, okay. I qualify. I, All right. I identify as a millennial. Well, you, I mean, not, okay. So the question is though, you are one of the most resilient people I know. You are, you're, you're a badass. You are, you are just, I mean, you, nobody puts you in a corner, right? <laughs> and yeah. I want to know, right? I want to know why, because what, what do you identify? I talk about the things that were an influence to me, but how, how do you, why do you, why did you turn out as good as you turned out? Because I'll tell you, I think we're in this place right now and it comes from two things. I think one, we, we do have a hierarchy of victimhood. Like we do, we do, society right now gives benefits based on how fragile you are or how much disadvantage you have. So you people are almost, not almost, they are de facto motivated to come up with deficiencies and weaknesses and, and to um, not invent, but, but to emphasize their fragilities. And, um, and they do it for benefits. They do it for benefits. They do it for, for social status. Um, and it's, it's, it's a huge part, an unspoken part of the Sam Britton story. But it forget Sam Britton. He's a nut job and he belongs in jail. Um, and I don't know, maybe they can give him women overalls in the male prison. But my question is, for you, like, what's the success story? Because what, you know, there's a lot of parents listening. There's a lot of young people listening. What's the, 
What's the secret what, sauce? Oh man, I, you know, I think when I look back on what led me to where I am now, I had a dad who worked really hard. He missed a lot of things in my life growing up to provide for me. And he instilled a hard work, like work ethic. I understood that the house I had, all of the opportunities I had were, were not just given to me, they were earned and they, they had, you have to make sacrifices for that. I also had a mom who, you know, she just did not accept less than our best performance in anything. And she wouldn't let us cry to get out of things. I remember as a kid, I went to a soccer camp and it was horrendously difficult and the first night I was my whole body was sore my eyes were burning from the chlorine in the pool and I was bawling like you wasted your money like I can't do this I'm I can't go back and my parents said no you're going back like just because you're nervous you're not the best it's hard you got to face it this is life and so my parents never gave me an easy way out and then they also never favored it like they never gave me any sort of favoritism because I was the girl. I have an older brother and, you know, our chores were very similar. You know, it wasn't like, oh, Ashley got the indoor chores. I know I was getting firewood for the fireplace place in the pouring rain. I was taking garbage cans out. Like there was no gender or, you know, looks or I was younger, so I got things easier. It was none of that. It was just you have good grades, you work hard, and it all comes back. Yeah, you know, by the way, we're here on the What's Right show with Ash Watkins, uh, my law partner and the better half of the Sam and Ash fearless duo. Um, you know, we're, we have a, a, a break coming up that I want to take so we have enough time here. Uh, and if you can stay with us through the break, because I, I, I think so I, I'm, I, I'm asked you what, you know, why you turned out as great as you did, why you are a, a fearless person, why you are the antithesis of what so many younger people in society now are, which is, you know, these, these drama victims. And, you know, family is a huge part of it, obviously having parents that are consequential with you. I want to ask you about sports, because I know that sports, unlike with me growing up, sports were a really important part of your life. Yeah. And... I, I want to ask about making sure that we make sports great again for yeah. kids because I, I think sports have been changing a little bit and it's taking out the most important aspects of sports that kids desperately need. Um, so can you stay with us here for, for a sec? Yeah, I've got my afternoon. All right, I've locked the door. We've got <laughs> Ash here in studio. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Oh, here we go. Another company bites the dust. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. As if it weren't bad enough for Target, right? Their stores were getting raided. Uh, by uh, smash and grab robbers, not robbers, so shoplifters aren't getting prosecuted in liberal places like California and New York. They're now uh, <laughs> for Pride Month. <laughs> uh, what is this? Breitbart's calling this corporate queering. Target <laughs> is selling tuck-friendly children's bathing suits. Can you just, for heaven's sakes, leave the kids alone? Now, if you have to ask, because I'm getting a look here from, from Ash Watkins, who is 
perplexed by this. The tuck thing, Ash, let me explain this to you. This is uh, for kids, you know, little kids that uh, feel like maybe their biological sex does not align with how they feel, and perhaps they are a biological boy and need to put the equipment away in a place where it's not readily visible so they look more like a girl. Well, now you have a bathing suit where you can you can tuck away that pesky appendage. Um, so, yeah, so encouraging, um, encouraging mental illness in kids, uh, fabulous move. So, um, so now I think this is one more. And then what will happen is, this is all predictable, let's play it out. What will happen is Target will, will get up there and they will say what? Oh, we shouldn't have done this bad idea. And then the T activists will come out and they'll start screaming. And then Target is, you know, in a, in a conundrum. All right. Now, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, well, we are going to talk about kids and sports. Because you're one tough cookie. I've got Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law here in studio with me. We thought we'd make a thing of this on a weekly basis on Wednesdays, so it would be Ash Wednesday, but <laughs> she failed us yesterday, promised to come, and it was a bait and switch. Uh, she totally uh, didn't make it. It's okay. Uh, she was with a client. It, it's all for a good cause, but nonetheless, she is here now. And Ashley, you were a very resilient young person. By the way, there was a yet another epic situation. This was in a, not a Target, but a Walmart, and this woman who was masked wasn't that that old. She's standing there in line, and she begins, uh, she begins having a full on meltdown. Here's here's a, a snippet of, and the guy apparently she cuts in line in front of him, and then she begins throwing things at him, and he's just very calm. You can hear him very calm, and she is going off the rails. Listen, I didn't touch you, I man. Just break. Well, no one did that. Okay. Okay. I just can't. Is this a prank? <laughs> is this a prank? Yeah, he won't go away. He's the problem. I need to leave. No, no, no. 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 We'll take I still got. I still got. The okay. workers are telling him. She threw some of my stuff. So okay. he starts to like back away. I'm fine, though. I'm so sorry. He's apologizing to the workers. She wasn't sorry when she cut in line. See you. To make it. Oh, I just asked her if she saw anyone in line. That's an adult. You're making it loud. Let's just walk up. I'm just talking. I gotta turn this off. Okay, I'm turning it off. Ow, my ears. Now, the reason every time I see one of these videos of somebody going, I'm non binary, neurodivergent, differently abled. And, and on and on, right? Those lists of problems that people now are using to modify themselves and intro, literally introduce themselves with. I go, here's somebody in front of me that's literally my business partner, my law partner. We're, we're building a, a, a wildly successful business together. Um, you're an absolutely brilliant lawyer. You're successful in life. And you have people your age who are and younger who are absolutely... Um, who are who have absolutely been destroyed by this movement to make us all more fragile. So I, we were talking about that before the break, and it, you mentioned sports. You mentioned a sports camp of not being able to back out of it. 
How important were sports to you developing? And what advice do you have for parents who are maybe raising kids right now that, like maybe one of my kids that says, I don't want to play basketball. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Um, You know, sports were a big part of my growing up. And one of the greatest things in hindsight is my parents forced me to do individual sports, golf. And then I also did team sports, basketball and soccer. And you learn such different skill sets, you know, in golf, you have to be accountable for yourself. You, your score, that's yours. You can't turn around and point to a teammate or blame anyone else. That's your success or failures are on your shoulders and there's no way to hide. Uh, Team sports, helped me learn accountability and discipline. There's other people relying on me. You know, if I got bad grades and I couldn't play, you know, I was letting other people down, not just myself. And so in that sense, sports were a huge aspect of my development and learning how to interact with other people, learning how to manage myself. And then also, you know, getting instruction from other people and being told things that hurt, being told you got to do better, like this isn't going to cut it. That You need to be told those things. Like if you want to play, you've got to work harder. Um, and one of the things I remember learning is, you know, you're not always as good as the person next to you. And some people, things come more naturally and some people have to work harder and your success is up to you. Um, but nothing's going to be handed to you. And so, I, I don't know, I, I look back on my time in sports and I thank it Did lot. you ever, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, did you ever get a trophy um, for losing a game? I mean, no, you're, you're talking about like the sixth place trophies that kids, every kid that plays a general league sports, they get a season trophy for participating. But, you know, if you if you go to the championship of a tournament and you lose, you'll get a second place trophy. But no, I, I don't think if you look through my trophy cabinet, there's any fifth or sixth or fourth place trophies. Well, obviously you wouldn't have those because I, don't, I doubt that you lost <laughs> I really very many. I threw them away. If they gave very, me a four, I, I was out. <laughs> now you played, look, you played uh, D3 basketball in college, right? So you actually played uh, college basketball. And um, you had some, I, I think you mentioned you've, you've had some tough coaches oh, in high, high school. school. Oh, yes. So- has you know you've you've kept in touch with him and 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 has he said anything about kids being more fragile now than they than they once were well to give an example of how difficult my coach was is he would call kids cancer like I went to an all-girls catholic high school and he would call a high school girl you are cancer to my basketball program meaning she's bringing the whole team down yes she was infecting people with her laziness and he said some really tough things and people loved him for it i mean not in the moment but we had a lot of success um yeah we're still in touch together and i've asked him i went back after i graduated college to help coach before law school and he was a totally different guy i said what are you doing he's like i can't coach these kids like i coached your generation like i can't talk to them the same way they will shut down they will melt if i yell at them the way i yelled at you guys they just they will fritz and not to do anything for me and so coaches all over the country have acknowledged this i think uconn's women's basketball coach came out and said it's a problem that parents are coddling their children and then when they go away to college they have no ability to hear tough words and by the way eventually somewhere in life somebody is going to shout at you it's probably going to be one of these deranged people at walmart i mean or 
or at work, you're gonna you're going to eventually have a customer. You know, we're lawyers. You know, we have we have clients. They're they're not not everybody is. By the way, we Insurance represent people. We we don't always represent people in the in the best moments of their life, and that's that's okay. You know, you have to you have to roll with it. So I I think the lesson out there is you know sports are really good, and we we have to you know as parents we got to support our coaches that coach our kids and let them coach them and stay out of it and and you know and 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 have them have them be tough with our kids. They need it. Adversity is good. Adversity is good. There it is. Well, Ash, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, yeah, kicking we, me off. Um, yeah, you know, you've got you've got stuff to do, <laughs> and uh, and and but come back next week. Okay, Wednesday. Right. Wednesday. Calendar. That was uh, Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. Sam Rajovsky here with the What's Right Show. Back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism Monday through Friday. Live and local from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. I know many of you listening, of course, beyond uh, the four corners of the valley here, and that's fine. This is a place that I am a grateful and proud to call my new adoptive hometown. Uh, I am uh, just absolutely uh, love it here, and um, once upon a time lived in the... Uh, Communist Republic of California. <laughs> oh, I do not miss it one bit. Now, there's been a development today I want to bring to your uh, attention. The Washington, D.C. FBI field office uh, had a guy who was testifying uh, here in a videotaped uh, deposition. Uh, to the uh, committee here on uh, Capitol Hill, Republicans uh, investigating the events of January 6th. Now, I want to take you through this. It's very important uh, what uh, transpired here. Um, There uh, is uh, a video, and excuse me, hold on. Ah, sometimes I'm talking and I get a little problem in my throat, so there it is. Forgive me. You had to use the cough button. The Republicans um, had this guy, the whistleblower, um, who was – we've known about this FBI whistleblower for a a little while now. And they had him – finally had him speaking on on camera, talking about the events of January 6th. Now, this is about a 40-second clip. But what this clip establishes is that they are, there were, in fact, according to this agent, there were confirmed undercover officers and CIs, confidential informants, and FBI assets that were present at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Not people in uniform, but people dressed as protesters, right? Listen to this. He said, happy to do it. Show us where they were inside the Capitol, and we'll look into it. To which WFO said, we can't show you those videos unless you can tell us the exact time and place those individuals were inside the Capitol. 
to which the SSA responded back, and I was privy to these conversations firsthand, why can't you show us, why can't you just send us, the, give us access to the 11,000 hours of video of this example that's available? Because there may be, may be, UCs, undercover officers, or CHS's confidential human for confidential human sources on those videos whose identity we need to protect. All right. Folks, let me tell you. I am not a conspiracy theorist person, and I generally practice a degree of restraint when it comes to jumping to conclusions about certain events. My general approach is, and it's probably because I'm a lawyer, I, you got to prove it to me for, for me to start considering it a, a fact. And I generally don't like to uh, bandy about theories, and if I'm going to engage in theorizing, I'm, I'm going to lay it out for you that it's a theory. One thing that always perplexed me about all the video that I saw of January 6th was that there were mostly very peaceful people milling around, you know, dressed in MAGA hats and waving flags and whatnot. And then there were a few masked hooligans that were smashing windows and doing bad things. And you'd, of course, you would see the Trump people who weren't masked saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't do that. Does, hey man, stop that. Even trying to intervene during moments of uh, vandalism and violence. So we've seen those videos right with our own eyes. I've never here on this show uh, gotten into the entire question of what of this was manufactured, whether it's Antifa or now, as this may suggest, right? It doesn't prove anything, but it, it well, it, listen, this is testimony. It's, it's under oath. So in this testimony, in this sworn statement, we have an agent saying that there were people that were working with the FBI, whether they were agents or informants, and that the FBI did not want to release certain images from inside the Capitol because specifically they didn't want these people to be identified. Now, the event itself is over. It's been over, right, for two years. Who cares if these people are identified? How does that matter now if, if you're simply wanting to protect your confidential sources? The prosecutions are either in motion or complete. It's all done. Presumably, if these people were used as witnesses at trial, they've already blown their cover, right? They've already given depositions and given testimony in open court. You see where I'm going with this? This thing stinks. Now, when I take this information and I pair it with everything else that we know about the FBI, we know that they were so dirty that they, in fact, were perfectly willing to sabotage Trump's campaign and his presidency with false statements to the FISA court using uh, made-up evidence they knew was made up that were political hit pieces. They were warned, by the way, saw the, the latest, they were warned by the CIA that the Steele dossier was, was total fabrication. 
and the FBI ignored it, pressed forward with it all to just get Trump. So when it comes to getting Trump, when it comes to discrediting Trump, when it comes to getting Trump out of office, when it comes to anything related to Trump, I'm getting to the point as a reasonable common sense conservative guy to be perfectly willing to accept a whole lot of even really crazy sounding stuff about the FBI. Today, knowing what we know, knowing what we know after the Durham report, it's not, guys, it's not that inconceivable that the same FBI that did everything in the 304 pages of the Durham report, that they possibly would have had some of their CIs go in and raise ruckus and turn January 6th in a, into a much bigger deal than it was. And by the way, this will be consistent with what I've always said which is this whole rally was dumb to begin with. And Trump, as per usual, he just can't help himself. He falls into traps. Trump for four years knew better than any of us the kind of dirty tricks that these people play. So what did he do? He (laughs) brought his mostly, I know this is almost like a a controversial thing to say, but it ought not to be. And I think that we're going to get be vindicated in in this he brought his mostly peaceful supporters to the capitol and uh the fbi may have seen an opportunity there and uh i i don't i'm telling you it's not beyond the it is not beyond the fbi knowing what we know now to to do something like this and this uh whistleblower by the way uh, confirms it. There are other people that have come forward as well inside the FBI who've made similar declarations. No, it's, listen, this is terrible, and this is why it is so good. The Republicans won at least the House because these uh, these committees now, um, the yeah, the Weaponization of the Federal Government Select Subcommittee, That's that's the one that's reviewing this, uh, what they're digging up and getting on the record is going to it's 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 a slow death by a thousand cuts on the left, the media, the deep state, all of them. And yes, I do believe there will be consequences here, big time. All right, taking a quick break. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk eight forty KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Now, in regards to the uh, FBI whistleblower going on the record with uh, news of or confirmation of confidential FBI assets working inside the January 6th protest on premises in the Capitol building. What do you think would be the reaction of the FBI to all of this? Well, I'll tell you, the FBI is taking away the security clearances for the uh, whistleblowers. Apparently, there's a a few of them here. And according to the weaponization of the federal government select subcommittee and the uh, justice committee, they are uh, finding that the FBI is basically um, sidelining these agents. 
have, um, well, they're not just taking away their, their uh, clearances. I mean, they're making it effectively impossible for them to work. Now, the problem with this is I know some folks listening to this might go, well, yeah, but they're, they're sharing internal secrets and they're under a duty. No. You see, there are federal whistleblower protection laws <laughs> passed by – I can't stop laughing – passed by Democrats, you know, to protect good people coming forward, you know, when they report wrongdoing. You know, Democrats are the biggest proponents of these federal whistleblower protection laws because they, of course, the way they imagined it in their little brains is that, well, there's going to be some big corporate – mean conservative company and they're going to get taken down by a you know by a justice seeking you know muckracking you know guy working in the mailroom who discovers a major fraud and whatever then they're going to turn it into a three-part hollywood movie and that's what they that that's how these laws came about okay i know there's a lot more to it than that but you know i'm right on this they never imagined that the laws would be turned around to protect, gosh forbid, frontline FBI agents who maybe are seeing bad stuff happening, who are seeing, well, the FBI playing politics, the FBI perhaps assisting and encouraging and maybe even committing acts of violence during the January 6th riots, perhaps in part to collude with Democrats in D.C. and the media to create an event that would be so devastating and injurious to Trump as to end any future uh, political uh, aspirations he might have. And I, I got to say, folks, again, I know I mentioned this before the break. I'm already seeing a few upset emails here. I think Trump stepped into this a little bit by holding that rally. Yes, it was absolutely his right to do so, but this is a guy who knew in the moment, he knew what we now have confirmed to us through the Durham report, but he knew it then. He knew that all this was nonsense because, of course, the stuff that was alleged would be stuff he either had done or hadn't. Now we know he didn't ever do those things, and so you know it's confirmed, but back then he knew that it was all made up. He knew the, extents to, the extent to which the FBI was willing to play dirty. This was just a colossally bad idea for him uh, to hold that rally and to hold it in D.C., right? To hold it in a, in a jurisdiction where, the, where the, the, the swamp had all of its assets and people, where they controlled the territory. This was such a bad idea. I'll still never forget. I had a handful of people. Uh, I don't think they actually went themselves, but they were... My friends were, yeah, January, early, late, late December when this thing was announced, late December of 2020, said, hey, you know, there's going to be this thing in D.C. You really ought to come fly out with us. And, da, da, da. and I said, uh, well, no thanks. <laughs> First off, have you, have you been in D.C. in early January? Oh, my gosh. It is, I mean, it's like a gulag. It is so cold. Uh, yeah, I'd rather be anywhere uh, but there. And the second thing is, I'm I'm the beginnings of January are very busy for me. 
Uh, it's, you know, starting in the new year. I, I think some of my busiest weeks of my entire year are the three first weeks of January. So I mean, it's not a time that I can, I can take off. But finally, I, I looked at this thing, and I, I remember thinking at the time uh, that this would be, uh, this just, this whole thing would be a mess. And then, as I, that's right, it's a good memory. You got a great memory. It also was the time when I, I, I ended up coming down with COVID. And I was just, exa- I was in bed. And I was, that's why I was watching this whole thing unfold in real time on TV because I was laying in bed with COVID. But oh, this, it's going to get worse. It's a drip, drip, drip. But this is also how these things typically work. You know, when, as a lawyer, I'll tell you, when you work on a case, it doesn't all come out at once. You have a theory, right? You start with a theory. And the Republicans clearly had a theory that this, for example, that the uh, January 6th had help from the FBI. So they're working that theory. And they've had people come forward, obviously, that support the theory. And so what they're doing is they're gleaning information from one person. That person will say, well, these 10 people were in the room. And whether they're friendly witnesses or not, the Republicans then will subpoena those agents. You're going to see a lot of news stories coming up in the weeks and months ahead of the FBI stonewalling. You've seen it with the IRS and the Biden, Hunter Biden uh, tax investigation. The IRS is denying uh, subpoenas. You're also seeing it with Joe Biden and the influence peddling campaign getting Secret Service documentation, uh, visitor logs, etc., from when he was vice president, and he was obviously protected by the Secret Service. They're stonewalling there. You will see a number of taxpayer-paid government entities, agencies that are going to be basically protecting and covering for Biden and for the Democrats. Expect that. More of that will happen. Now, uh, again, I, I mean, I would say uh, if they don't want to come and testify, what are they hiding? If they don't want to answer the subpoenas and go under oath, what are they hiding? And then let me say another problem, and it's a big problem. If you're going to hold Republicans in contempt, if you're uh, by Congress, you remember this with Steve Bannon, of course, he was sentenced to prison, right, for for refusing to come and testify when Nancy Pelosi held the house. Prison, okay? And the FBI and the IRS, these people can just get away with it. That's fine. Media covering for them. They're just hoping that this all blows over and that the Republicans get voted out and then they can take a deep breath and go back to doing all the nasty things that they do. Protecting Biden, protecting the Democratic Party. You know, I never in my life has it been so obvious that we are under one-party rule. It's almost entirely a fiction that this is a two-party country. It's also becoming a fiction that we are a functioning democracy. Because if so much of this can be engineered by the state secret police, which is what the FBI is becoming, it is literally becoming like the Stasi, in East Germany. 
okay? Or the STB in, in what was communist Czechoslovakia, KGB in uh, Soviet Union, etc. It's literally becoming one of those type of agencies whose sole purpose is not to actually investigate crime, although they do, did all those things, of course, right? These entities did investigate actual crimes. What is their primary purpose? To maintain the regime's power, to keep the uh, desired state leadership in control, to orchestrate political events in a favorable way to the regime. These are all things I grew up hearing about from my parents that experienced it firsthand in the, in the 50s and 60s in Eastern Europe. And now it's literally happening in the country they fled to for a better life. Folks, we got to fix this. We got to fix this. We, we, and the time is now. And I've, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've Matt Gates and all these people doing, doing the Lord's work because um, somebody's got to reclaim this country. And it has to be us, right? This next election, monumental. Buckle up. All right, friends, we got to go. I'll be back again tomorrow, Friday. Tomorrow's Friday. Wow, the week is blowing by. All right, you know the drill. What's Right Show, 1 to 3 p.m. Get us on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcast. I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.